We're in Daniel chapter 12, verse 5 through 10. It's all about God's timing. It's all about God's timing. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one in this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the, till, till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. This is the word of God. Please be seated. You know, it's all about God's timing. It's interesting when we go through life. We don't really like God's timing. He's a little slow sometimes, maybe times a little too fast for us. But it's all about his time. He's in control. That's the big thing that we want to remember. He's sovereign. He's in control. It just goes right in line with the theme of Daniel. God is sovereign over nations, over rulers, and over you. And if you remember, chapters 10, 11, and 12 are Daniel's last vision and the explanation of that last vision of what's going to happen with his people, the nation of Israel, but also extending into the future what's going to happen with planet Earth into the future. And the angel's going to tell him what is coming. And we are to remember, prophecy is given to us so we have a clue what's going on. Now, granted, I don't think anybody knows exactly how this thing's going to pan out, but we have enough information to know and to be suspect when something comes in on the horizon. Something comes into our, our TV stations or, or, or our radios about world events that say, hey, this perks my ears. Something's going on here that I need to be aware of. We don't want to be led astray by the culture. We want to, we want to be led astray by the news media. We don't want to be led astray by cultural indoctrination. We want to be firmly planted in the Word of God and have an idea, a clue of what's coming. So, the last time we met, we met Michael the archangel. We've met him before in the past, but his role is the guardian of Israel. He's an archangel, and it says he's one of the chief princes. So that tells us that there's more than one archangel. He's the only one mentioned in Scripture, but he is the guardian of Israel. We also that Michael, the guardian of Israel, has the power to assure that the remnant will survive. There's only to be a remnant of Israel that survives. Remember in Romans chapter 11, 26, that there's just a remnant that's going to make it through this thing. All of Israel shall be saved. That all of Israel that is saved are those that make their escape into Petra, and those are the ones that are protected by God. That's the all of Israel. doesn't mean every Jew is going to be saved. It's those Jews that make their escape, and by the end of the tribulation, they believe that's the all of Israel. So Michael, is, his main job is to take care of God's holy people. How does the remnant survive in the tribulation? Or remember, Satan is going to chase them into the wilderness. Satan is booted out of heaven. Antichrist is going to chase them. The, the earth separates. The army is, is defeated. And then Satan, in a, in a rage, turns against the rest of the Jews and the rest of the believers in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. That's, what, that's the order of events that happens. That's in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. We know that God will protect his people from annihilation. But I want you to remember something. In the tribulation period, 
There will be the greatest revival that has ever happened on planet Earth, but it will also be the greatest slaughter of believers that has ever happened on planet Earth. We read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, after these things, now after these things is the word metatawa. It means that something significant has happened before this. There's 12,000 from each tribe. There's 12 tribes, 12,000, 144,000 Jews for Jesus that will evangelize the world during the tribulation period. They'll be sealed and they'll be protected. And they'll, they'll be the cause of a great revival. After these are sealed, after they go out and do their thing, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now, these are people coming out of the tribulation. How do we know? The following verse tells us in verse 14, these are the ones that came out of the great tribulation, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So there's going to be a carnage, Antichrist carnage, but there's also going to be a great harvest during the tribulation. God is a loving God, and he's going to get his word to people, and people are going to believe believe in him. There will be a remnant that will not defect. They will not defect no matter what. We know that the Jews who are delivered, the Jews that get into Basra, those are the ones that names are written in the book of life. Remember, everybody's name is written in the book of life. And if you believe in Jesus Christ during your lifetime, it is retained. If you reject Jesus Christ, it is blotted out. We see that in, in Psalm 69, 28. We know also that people will live forever. We talked about two resurrections last time. There's the first resurrection. That's the one you want to be at. That's the resurrection of the just. That's the resurrection of the believing. Those are the resurrection of those who shine like the stars. Remember when it says in, in one of those verses in Daniel chapter 12, shine like the stars, everlasting life. The second resurrection is for non-believers. That's to shame and everlasting contempt. Those are the ones that will appear at the great white throne judgment. And we talked about that last time in Revelation chapter 20. This is awful. They'll be judged according to the, what is written in the books. And if their name is not written in the book of life, they end up in the lake of fire forever. What a disaster. What a disaster. And we know at the end that pace will increase in this world that people will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. Remember, that was chapter 12, verse 4. And it will be a hectic pace, and there will be an increase in knowledge. But it isn't just a hectic pace. Remember, we talked about a hectic pace for those in the tribulation period that are wondering, what in the world is happening? Antichrist is killing all these people, and concomitantly, God is pouring out on the world all of his judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, it is a mess on planet Earth. So I believe that it's, it is pointing to a time when people are going to be running around looking in the Bible and saying, what is going on? Maybe this book will tell us. And in Amos chapter 8, we read these verses last time. Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but hearing of the word of God that happened in Amos's day, and that is happening in our day. There's a famine in the land for hearing the word of God. We get a lot of pretend stuff in churches today. Watch this, verse 12. They will wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro. That is what we see in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. They will run to and fro, this hectic pace, 
seeking the word of the Lord. And then it says these sad words, but they shall not find it. And the reason that they don't find it is because they want information without wanting God. They want information without wanting God. That's a big thing. Knowledge will will increase, and we know that textbooks are written out of date. The instant they're written, they're out of date. You get your journal, your journal in whatever profession you're in. You get that journal, that stuff is out of date. You go to the Internet, that stuff is out of date. Things are happening so quick today with knowledge and information that it's exploding. But I think it's referring to something more than that. We have something called progressive illumination in prophecy where we get to know more and more as it becomes clear and clear. Hear this. Daniel could not understand what he was seeing. He didn't have the information that we have today to understand the vision that he saw. But we do. We now have something called microchip technology. And remember, we had the picture of the microchip that you could put underneath your skin. Actually, it's been happening in veterinarian medicine for a long time. We can keep track of people, and we had the picture of the Swedish folks. There's 2,000 of them now that get on their train, and with a microchip implanted, they are then, that's how they pay their bill. That technology exists today. Didn't exist in Daniel's time. We also have satellite TV, and we often wondered how in, how in Revelation chapter 11, how everyone would see the, the two witnesses that were killed lying in the streets, and then miraculously raised from the dead, and the whole world views us. Well, how does that happen? Satellite TV. We have all this communication network. And now we have, since at least my birth in you know, 1949, we have the development of nuclear weapons that can totally annihilate the world. So we have nuclear weapons that can go all over this globe and destroy the earth many, many times over. And remember Jesus' words, lest these days be cut short, no flesh will be saved alive. I think it has to do with nuclear weapons, but also the judgments that God was pouring out on the earth. That there had to be a time frame where this thing stopped or all of earth would be destroyed. All of earth would be destroyed. Technology, the explosion. And then we see this. The angel has told Daniel, the book is sealed until the end. The book is finished and will become knowable to those living in the end. And I emphasize those living in the end are at least us and on. Us and on. It could be a hundred years from now, it could be a thousand years from now, but at least we qualify as the generation that could see the coming of the Lord Jesus. Why? And then I gave you a list. I'll just review the list. First of all, the Jews have been regathered as a nation of non-belief. That happened May 14, 1948. That was a sign. That was a sign of the end. We see that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, the Jews will be regathered, but it will be in unbelief. They will be regathered a second time in that verse in belief, but now it's in unbelief. They don't believe in Messiah. We know that the end time is here because of technology explosion, the weapons of mass destruction. I just talked about that. We know, then we learned about a coalition of nations that has never come together before in the history of the world, Russia, Iran, and Turkey, these are the main players, there's two other ones, Libya and Sudan, that are part of the Gog-Magog invasion of Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39. These nations are now coming together, 
never before because they hate each other's guts, but they're coming together now at this end time, at least could be a prelude to that, a prelude to that. And then there's apostasy in the church, a falling away from the faith. I want you to realize this. As the church falls farther away from Jesus Christ, those who are the remnant believers, those who are the few that still believe this is the word of God, the inerrant word of God, puts their faith and their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to feel a little bit strained. In the apostasy, there's going to be a few people that that are going to believe, that are going to maintain their faith, but they're going to feel the effects of being different than the rest of the world. So remnant believers often feel isolated, misunderstood, and even though they have the truth and the naysayers are clueless, you are still going to feel this feeling of, I'm different than the rest of them. I'm strange and weird, and everybody looks at me that way. Just realize that's what we're going to have to live with. That's why it is important that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We have to encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. We need each other's strength to make it through this thing. So, with that, the next one. Violence and sexual immorality. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the second coming of Christ. It's not getting better. We have homosexuality. Uh, on the increase, homosexual marriage, transgenderism. Even in the church, we have seen, and I discussed this with you a few weeks ago, I think it was, that the Church of England is now rebaptizing transgender folks into their chosen gender. Now, this has come into the church. Remember what, what uh, Francis Schaeffer said. If something is popular within the culture, within seven years, it infiltrates uh, many, many churches. And this has infiltrated the church. This is a sign of the end. And then there's a rise in seducing spirits, and I think that's what's behind the whole thing. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a word that Paul is giving to Timothy and to us today. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's apostatize. Episteme is actually the word. But fall away from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Folks, there is an increase in deception that is going on, and the reason there's an increase for deception is because the general populace, the general world of Christendom, is biblically illiterate. The Word of God has been taken out of the forefront. Programs and everything else has been brought in because that's what Peter Drucker said would, would, would grow the church. We can marketing schemes and grow the church. So we've taken this out, we put other things in, and now people are biblically illiterate and setups for deception. Setups for deception. That is what is happening to us today. This is the end time. And finally, the last thing that I mentioned last week was globalism. This is a sign of the end time. Take the borders down. A one world government is on the horizon. It's a setup. Climate change is another thing that is that is fostering this one world thing, that we're all fighting together as humanity against the climate change. Folks, there will be a climate change one day. There will be global warming one day that you cannot believe when God says it's enough and disintegrates earth and disintegrates the whole creation and starts over. That's when the climate will really change, okay? But it's setting the stage for the Antichrist coming. So, This prophecy pertains to our time forward. Our time forward. 
this week, it's all about God's timing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study the precious Word of God. Holy Spirit, please teach us. We cannot know what you are saying unless you illuminate the Word to our hearts and to our minds and our spirits. Help us to understand what you are saying. Help us to rightly divide your Word. Keep us alert for just a few minutes, Lord. Just a few minutes. Help us to focus on what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, everyone wants to know one question. How long? How long till we get there when you're going on vacation? You can't be five minutes in the car and the kids are saying, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer till Christmas? How much longer till this flu gets over? How long did you have it? Is that how long I'm going to have it? How much longer? How much longer to the end, folks? In verse 5 and 6, this question is asked by the angels. How long until these shocking events that are happening in the tribulation period, how long before they end? Verse 5 and 6, And I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. Now, I believe these are angels because of the text, that, the, way, the, the verses that we went through prior to this in chapter 11. And one said to the man clothed in linen, that is the, that is the picture of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in Daniel chapter 10, verse 4 or so. The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters, they're asking this man clothed in linen, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? The angels even want to know how long. How long is this Antichrist going to be able to rage on the earth? How long? So again, the setting is two angels and Jesus. Two angels and Jesus. This Jesus that we see is a description of the glorified Jesus that we saw in Daniel chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. But it is also a picture of what John saw in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. Now, why would Daniel need to see this vision of, of, of the pre-incarnate glorified Jesus? Because he's going to get encouragement that someone's in control that has all this stuff in absolute order that he's going to see in these visions. He's going to be very troubled. We are very troubled today. We need to know, like Daniel, that there's someone that's actually in control of this whole thing. It's just not unmitigated chaos. God is in control. So take comfort. Daniel needs to know, we need to know, that God is in control. Amen. God is in control. So let's get that down. So John's description and Daniel's descriptions are very much alike. Daniel sees the pre-incarnate Jesus, and John sees the glorified Jesus. And I don't know if you remember this, but in John chapter 17, which is the real Lord's Prayer, John chapter 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven is the disciples' sample prayer, how we should pray. But, but John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. And in that, Jesus prays to his Father these words. Chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said to the Father, the hour has come. This is literally hours before the crucifixion. Jesus is in just hours is going to be sacrificing his life for the sins of the world, for the sins of all mankind. And Jesus asked his father this question, glorify your son. 
that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, oh, that they may know you, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And in verse 4 he says this, I have glorified you on earth. I have brought you honor on earth. I've brought you honor on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Isn't that the word that we all get? You have a job. You have finished the work that God has given specifically to each one of us to do. He's called you to something specific. And then he says this, Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Watch this. Jesus is saying that he's equal with the Father. This is another proof text that Jesus is God. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the God-man. He is the incarnate Christ God that came to this earth to die for our sins. So Daniel wants to know, and what we want to know, is how long? How long will this carnage go on in the tribulation? How long before Jesus comes back, this powerful, glorified Jesus, who will all bow before, come back and establish his kingdom and rule on the planet Earth? How long? The angels want to know how long. You want to know. I want to know how long before Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are done away with. How long? How long? Well, Jesus is going to give us a hint how long only God knows when he's going to come back and establish his kingdom. Why do I say that? Because throughout history, humans have tried to set dates when Jesus is coming back. Now, as you know, each one have been wrong. And had they read the scriptures, they would know that no one knows. Okay, so in Mark chapter 13, 32 through 37, these are the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus always tells the truth, so you can trust him. But of that day and hours, talking about when he comes back, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. That's an interesting statement. Jesus, when he came here as a man, set aside his heavenly privileges for a time. He knows now when he's coming back, but he set aside his heavenly privileges for a time. So even he didn't know at that time, at that point. But only the Father. Take heed, and, and, then, and then the key word, watch. Watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going on a journey to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work. And he commanded the housekeeper, the doorkeeper, to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, in the crowing of the rooster, in the morning. It come any time lest he come suddenly and he find you sleeping, not ready. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. What is the key word there? Watch, <laughs> watch, be ready. No one knows the time or the hour. But I could submit to you that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, we are to have a clue of the sign of the times. We must know the sign of the times. We don't know the day or the hour. We're expected to know the sign of the times. I'll read this to you. 
Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those friends of Jesus, those ones that just loved him so much, came to challenge him again, came testing him and asked him if he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, up to this point, Jesus has healed. Jesus has cast out demons. There's been blind people. There's been lame people. Now they want another sign, okay? And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather. Today, for the sky is red and threatening. And then he says this word, hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the time. You don't even recognize me as being the Messiah. Only Messiah would do these miracles. Only Messiah could do these things. And you didn't recognize it. You couldn't tell the sign of the times. Jesus expects us. We don't know the the day or the hour. But folks, we should have a clue about the epoch of time that Jesus is coming in. It is in our time forward. And I believe it's unraveling very quickly. And we could very well see the coming of our Lord in our lifetime. That's what I believe. So it's the reason that we study prophecy. Jesus expects us to know to watch and be ready. Everyone wants to know how long. How long before this Antichrist will be done with? How long before the false prophet will be done with? How long will Satan have his reign on the earth? Well, verse 7 is going to tell us how long for Antichrist to rage, it'll be three and one-half years. Three, it's a seven-year tribulation period, but it's three and a half years where he's raging. Let's read the verse, verse 7. Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. Now, this would be Jesus. When he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, that's a year, times, Two years, so what do we have? One plus two is three and a half a time, which is a half a year, so three and a half years. And when the power, and watch this, this is what has to happen in the tribulation period. It's the whole focus of the tribulation is on the Jewish people recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, the church is gone. So now God's focus is on the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. For the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, and all these things shall be finished. So, how long? Well, the tribulation, again, is seven years, but it's a, it's a fixed number of years. No more or no less. It's fixed. Jesus explains why it has to be a fixed time, why it can only be the seven years, the last three and a half, the most tumultuous. Why? In Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22, we've read this before several times in this study. We'll read it again. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. Nor, no, nor ever shall be. It'll be the worst time in the history of planet Earth. And unless those days were shortened, unless those tribulation days were shortened, no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake. For the nation of Israel is actually what it's pointing to as the elect in this, in this context. Those days will be shortened. All the Jews would have been killed had he not shortened those days. All of earth would have been destroyed had he not shortened those days. Again, the tribulation period is seven years, three and a half years, that the Antichrist 
will, the first three and a half, he slowly raises to power. Remember? He's sneaky. He gains power. He gains influence over the people. And everybody falls all over him because he's got the economic plan. He's got the political plan. He's got the military plan to get everything in order. He's going to bring peace to the earth. Remember the rider on the white horse has a, has a bow and he brings peace to the earth. It's a false peace because right after that he ascends to power and, and tries to take over the earth by war. The tribulation starts with a peace covenant. That's, he's a peacemaker. Remember, we read this in Daniel 9.27 with Israel. And it's broken in the midpoint. But he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, the three and a half year point, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to turn on every Jew, and he's going to turn on every believer, a tribulation believer at that time, and he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. Now, now we know that the peace covenant is signed. That starts the tribulation period. The first three and a half years, Antichrist looks like a good guy. He's bringing all kinds of good stuff to earth. And suddenly, in the middle of this whole thing, things change. I don't know if you remember what I said about this, but kind of concomitantly with this middle of the tribulation point, in Revelation chapter 12, Satan in his hubris, in his arrogance, goes to war in heaven to fight with Michael and his angels, and he is dispatched from heaven. And I think at this point, in the middle of the tribulation, I know what happens here, Satan is cast down to the earth. And I think at this point, he inhabits, he possesses the Antichrist. And at this point, Antichrist changes, and he becomes violent. And for the last three and a half years, he is exerting his power on earth to take over planet earth, to set up a, a worship system so that the Antichrist is worshipped as God. Satan, possessing the Antichrist, will finally experience all of humanity, at least most of humanity at that time, worshipping him as God. Now, the three and a half years we have seen over and over and over in Scripture. There's going to be these three and a half year points. Three times we've seen in Daniel, four times in the book of Revelation, we have this middle of the week, this three and a half year point. Daniel 7.25, times, times, and half a time. This thing is repeated all the way through, and different things happen during these times. But we, Daniel has had three times that he's experienced these words, and he's still wondering, what's this all about? What's going on here? Reveal to me what's... See, he can only see a short view. He cannot see the long view. We have a longer view opportunity that he does not have. So we can see what he could not see. We could see what he could not see. Please note, it will take the entire three and a half years of Antichrist carnage on the earth, this rage against the Jews, before the power of the holy people is completely shattered and all these things will be finished. They will not believe until the very end of the tribulation period. Remember, 70 years were given in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 or thereabouts, for the people of Israel. 70 weeks, 70 weeks, 70 sevens. That's 490 years. We went through that math and that, the reasons for that in the past. Jesus Christ came at year 483 to die on the cross. The Jews had an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ or this, as their Savior or reject him. 
They rejected him. At this time, the time for the Jews stopped. 490 years were given for your people, but it stopped at year 483 when they rejected Messiah. Everybody on board. Everybody understand what's going on here. Okay, this is important. Now, the gap with a time stop is called the church age. The church age started at Pentecost, and it will end with the rapture of the church. That's the church age. This is where we are now. And I believe we're right about here in the church. Right, I'm getting ready to go, okay? Now, once we're taken out of here, the tribulation period will start sometime after that. Now, there are Bible expositors that think that this could happen concomitantly with the signing of the peace covenant. There are Bible expositors that say, no, it can happen years before. Whatever happens, we're out of here before this starts. At least that's my view of it. There are people that believe, and very good Bible students, that believe that we'll go through most of the tribulation and be exited here pre-wrath. Pre-wrath. I believe it's the whole seven-year tribulation. Now, we will see who is right in the future. Okay, it'll, it'll come unraveled here. So that's the seven-year tribulation period. That's Daniel's 70th week. That completes the last seven years, which gives 490 years for his people. It's completed in the last week. So with that review, let's continue. The Antichrist will pour out all of his wrath on the earth, the carnage and all that stuff is going to happen. Then it will take until the end of the tribulation for the Jews to repent. Now there's a verse for this that we can go to. If you are inclined... Turn to Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. So if you're in the book of Daniel, you turn to the right, just a few pages, and then you will be in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Now Hosea is going to tell us something that's going to happen in the future. And we read this. This is a call to repentance. You might see that in your Bible head for this, for this section. Come, let us return to the Lord. This is a cry to the nation of Israel to finally turn to Jesus Christ. For he has torn, but he will heal us. There's been all kinds of carnage that is going on. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. He will heal us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Now, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, in his footsteps of Messiah, believes, and I, and I, I kind of agree with him, that, that it is. This two or three days represents that this whole tribulation will, will go forward with all of the mess, the Jews not believing, not believing, not believing, until finally at the very end, two to three days before the end, they repent and realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and they weep for what they have done. Remember, the will of the holy people has to be broken. The power of the holy people, that's what it will take, that whole mess of the tribulation. Isn't it amazing the pride that humans have? What it takes to break our own self-sufficiency, our own pride. It is an amazing thing. Do you, listen to this, do you find it amazing what it takes to break our pride, our self-sufficiency, our arrogance, our all-about-me mentality? The principle is this, God wants us to remember one thing, God hates pride. 
Pride is the reason that sin came into existence. When Satan rebelled against God in, in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, you see it just played out there perfectly. And all the carnage and all the mess. So we think we're so big. Isn't it amazing how we look at ourselves? We're Hercules. It's all about me. Pride is always about me. Me, myself, and I. And God hates pride. And he will deal with pride. Watch how he deals with it. It's just an amazing thing. It always hurts when God deals with pride. Now, you might have experienced this. I know I have. I've I've experienced this. Proverbs 13.10 says this, By pride comes nothing but strife. Remember, nothing but strife. Proverbs 16.18 and 19 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The antidote for pride is real simple, is when self gives way to God. When me, myself, and I says no more, when I give up, me, myself, and I, and I say, no, God, you lead. When I realize who God is, this produces something in me that is very important, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way. That's the fear of the Lord. Fear is the word, it can, is the word yare. We've been through this many times. Yare. It can mean an, a, a tremulous fear, but that's not the context here. A fear of the Lord also means awesome respect for God. For those who follow our God, for those who really submit to him and, and bow to him, we have a healthy fear of the Lord, an awesome respect for God. Fear of the Lord breaks pride. When you have an awesome respect for God, and you see God for who he is, and you see us for who we are, the little dot down here on the floor, you realize who's in charge. And it's not you. It's not us. Now, my, my question is this. What has happened to the fear of God in the world, in America, or in his church? What has happened to the fear of God? It has been displaced with with the person being elevated and God being brought almost on the same level as the human. What does Psalm say? You thought I was altogether like you. It was a mistake. I am not altogether like you. The focus on I goes on and on and on. Folks, up to this point in verses 5 and 6, how long until these shocking events end? In verse 7, how long before the Antichrist rages? For be three and a half years. And all of this mess will end in verses 8, 9, and 10 in God's time. In God's time. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Daniel is he's such an honest guy. I mean, he, he really is. Although I heard, I did not understand. I mean, he's been told all, over and over, three and a half years, three and a half years, big mess, big mess, three and a half. He's still, I don't understand. I, I, I'm not getting it. Again, Daniel, the words are closed. The words are sealed. It's not for your time, Daniel. It's for those people in the future that will start to see this thing take place. Folks, it's for our time. 
It's for our time. That's what it's for. Remember, progressive illumination, as we get closer to the end, the, the, the prophetic puzzle will become clearer and clearer and clearer. And we can see now what Daniel could not see. Remember all those technological things, all the hectic pace things, all the things that have to be in place for the Antichrist, all the surveillance. Remember that picture I had last week of all the surveillance and the cameras and how we're being a, a surveillance society? That's how Antichrist is going to keep his eye on all of Earth. Our iPhones. They're tracking us through those. The internet, they're tracking us. Every place we go, we're being watched, watched, watched. We are in a surveillance society like never before. It's a setup for this control that the Antichrist will exert in the tribulation period. We discussed earlier about people running to and fro, looking for knowledge. And we talked about people looking but not being able to find. But I want to submit to you, there will be people who will look, who will look. But those who are looking, it won't find. Why won't they find it? Most people want information without God. Just show me what's going to happen, but let me continue to be my God. Because that's what really humans want. Like Satan wants to rule, we want to rule our own life. Invictus, you know, remember that, remember that poem? I am the conqueror of my soul. I am the master of my fate. No, you're not. No, you're not. We are not in charge. God is in charge. Amos 8, 11, and 12, but you shall not find it. Remember, you not find this information. But who will find the information? Who is this information for? Who will be enlightened? Now, let me show you this. Those who turn to God, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the Scriptures so they can understand. That is a job of the Holy Spirit. He illuminates Scripture so that we have a clue. John 16, 13 says this, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will tell you things to come. Folks, the world is getting more wicked. The world will never understand why we believe. They're never going to understand. They will never understand why Christians throughout the world, maybe not in America, you know, a little cream puff America, but throughout the world, in Iran and Iraq and the Sudan in China, in Russia, in India, in Pakistan, people are dying daily for their faith, more so, remember, than any other time in the history of the world. We just don't hear about it, but it's recorded in the voice of the martyrs. We know that people are dying for their faith all over the world, as never before. And they can't understand why we would. No one can understand, folks, the deep things of God without the Holy Spirit illuminating. There's three ways that God communicates. Just take a little journey with me. Number one is through revelation. We have natural revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. People are, in, are, are just mesmerized by, by the vastness of the creation, all the way down to the micro-creation. You look at the cell and you look at the complexity of how the human body works and the intricacies of the very smallest things. There is a creator. God has revealed this to every human. But also there's specific revelation. From God to man, man hears what God wants written. Hebrews 1.1, he spoke in the past through the prophets. Now he speaks to us through his Son, which are written in the Word of God. Revelation. I think that revelation has ceased. I think that, that God no longer speaks to prophets like he did in the Old Testament model. He can still speak to our hearts today, but not in that same way that he spoke to them. Ex-cathedra, my mouth 
to your ear. That would be God. And then we have inspiration. From man, here's the word of God, to the paper, writes down what God wants written down. 2 Timothy 3.16 is the most famous verse. All scripture is God-breathed. Theonuptos. God-breathed. God-breathed. It is appropriate for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. His word is breathed, and each writer wrote in their own way the breath of God. And we have the breath of God in this word, the true word of God. And then finally, we have illumination. And I believe that's closed. The canon is closed. That's done. And then we have illumination from the paper to the heart. Man receives what God wants written. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things that are coming. Like I said, John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. You can read this. The light of God is expressed through his word. And the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts, opens our eyes, allows us to see the truth. Those who understand. Those illuminated by the Holy Spirit, those made white and refined, those who are saved are the ones that are going to shine forever. But the wicked will never understand. We're always going to look weird to them and strange. They're blind to God's word. Why can't they understand? Do you ever, ever wonder that? Why do I understand and they don't understand? Well, I think there's an answer. It's in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. You don't have to turn there because this covers too much area. But it talks about the seven churches. Each of these churches represents a church that exists today or through the epochs of time. One of them predominates through each period of time. We had Ephesus lost their first love. Smyrna was the second church. It was persecuted, neuro-persecution. We had Pergamos was the compromised church. Thyatira was the corrupt church. Sardis was the was the Reformation church, was a dead church. Philadelphia was a faithful church. And Laodicea, which I think predominates today, is the lukewarm. Jesus said, I'll spew you, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. They thought they were great and wonderful. The Laodicean church is the church of what's happening now. It's a church that you would say, oh, let's look this up. Oh, they got all these programs here. Oh, look at this. Now they have video games for the kids. and they, Oh, it's so great. It's well, let's go to that church. It's got everything for me. It's all about me, see? That's the Laodicean church. And Jesus says he's outside that church. He's knocking, wants to come in. That's what predominates today. That's what we see all over our world today. To every church, Christ says this. Every one of those seven churches, he makes this admonition. This is what I want to try to get across, why people don't believe. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God is speaking loud and clear. The problem is we are not listening. We hear the siren call of the world. We hear the siren call of our flesh. We have a devil that wants us to hear the siren call of the world. That is what is happening around us. God is speaking loud and clear. The Holy Spirit is doing his part. John 16, 8 says this. He, now, please listen to this. This is very important. He will convict the world. Now, how, how, how big is the world? How many in the world does he convict? Everyone. The world of what? Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, hear this. That sin is singular. 
That righteousness is righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that judgment is his judgment that is coming upon all humanity who reject him. That is what he's speaking about here. The Spirit of God is saying he's convicting everybody of their need for Jesus Christ. That's what is going on here. He's not in the, in the business of convicting people of dancing, of playing face cards, and, and, and that sort of thing that people get all in a yank about or drinking, or smoking, or language, or pot, or coke, or whatever it might be. Gossip, lust, jealousy. He's not in. That, that comes after. What the Spirit of God initially is doing in the hearts and minds of people is saying, you need Jesus Christ. And everyone is hearing this message. It's to some level. The Holy Spirit is doing his job. The Holy Spirit is doing his job. All that other stuff gets dealt with after we're saved. It starts to fall off. See, people are always worried. I have to get saved and I've got to give it up. You don't have to give up anything. What you will do is just release it. I mean, once the Spirit of God comes into you, your life changes. And all of a sudden, you're just releasing and saying, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore because I think, it, I think it's, it's not bringing glory to you. It's not bringing glory to you. It, it's almost like, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Change me, Lord. Make me different. Look, everyone can hear, all people can hear, a person simply needs to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Closing, closing, it's all about God's timing. Now remember, God's timing is perfect. Everything is on schedule. The world's in a mess. We believe that. There's sin in the world. We, it's, it's all because of sin, okay? But God is in control. I don't understand everything. Daniel didn't understand any, everything. You don't understand everything. But there is a one that is in control. Now, what can we expect from our world today? What we can expect, you can just write this down, more so as we see the day approaching, okay? You can expect to be mocked. You can expect to be mocked. Make no doubt about it. You believe in Jesus. You're actually living this thing out. You're going to be looked at as strange and weird and not acceptable to the culture. They want you ostracized, banished, out of the mainstream, and that's not where we can go. We must stay in the mainstream, influencing people for Christ. You'll be mocked. We are watchmen. Remember what he said? Watch. 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 Watchmen will be seen as troublemakers. Oh, you Christian troublemakers, if it wasn't for you, then all, everything would be okay. Oh yeah, we're the, we're the troublemakers. And you will feel alone. You will. That's why we need one another, folks. We need one another. When we do not understand what is going on in our world, we need help. We need daily reminders. Daily reminders. God has, just always remember this. There's chaos in my life. Things are not working out the way that I thought they would work out. I never thought this person would do this. I never thought this situation would occur in my life. God has everything under control. I must trust him no matter what. Things are lining up as prophesied. You can see it. You can see it. And God is allowing these things to happen because the stage is being set for a Antichrist for a one world government, that is what is happening around us. So, 
There'll be times when we get confused. There are going to be times when we're thinking, what in the world is going on? I don't understand. When you don't understand, understand you are in good company. You're in good company. Hear the prophet Isaiah. God's cry to all people, and particularly those under pressure. Those under pressure. Listen to this. The prophet was speaking for his time, and I think the prophet is speaking for our time, but I also think he's speaking for all time. And it's Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 9. It might be worth your while to turn there. Watch what he says. This is an admonition for the people of Israel at this time, but I think for us today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. See, there's no one that seeks after God. No, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one that actually seeks after God, according to Romans chapter 3. God is the initiator in everything, every relationship. If you're seeking him, it's because he already sought you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And we know in Acts 17, 27, that he is close to each one of us. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, he will have mercy. That mercy is the word rakam, and it means to caress, to soothe, to cherish, to love deeply, like a parent loves their little child. That's how God loves us. We turn to him, we repent, he will have mercy on us, and he will abundantly pardon. When you do not understand, the next verse is for you, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't understand a lot that happens. I don't understand why little kids get Wilms tumors, kidney tumors, and die when they're one year old. I don't understand why some little child gets run over with the car. I don't understand a lot of stuff that goes on in this world. But I understand that God's ways are not my ways, and he is working out everything according to the counsel of his will. Somehow it's going to bring good. Doesn't mean it's good. All things will work for good for those who love God, for those that are called according to his purpose. There is evil in this world that is being played out that God, for some reason, allows to happen. Oust, which was allowed to happen. Tragedies are allowed to happen. I don't understand all that. But I understand that somehow, some way, God is still in control. He is at the helm steering the ship, and I can trust that. Now, the question is that we, what we must ask ourselves, have I really submitted to God? Have I really sold out to him? Or am I still tentative? Am I still ruled by what's going on in the culture? Still afraid of my friends? Have I really submitted to his way, his will? Contemplate those things today. Think about those things today. Are you really hearing what the Spirit is saying to you? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Folks, it really is all about God's timing. His will, his way, always, this we can rest in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and thank you for your word. Please, Lord, apply this word to our hearts. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to obey what you are telling us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.